Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the early church in Philippi. Um, Let's share in God's good word together in Philippians 2. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all, to the glorious honor of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Life together. Why it matters. Because you represent Jesus to me. You represent Jesus to me. And to everyone who ever meets you, you represent represent Jesus to others. There's some of our campers headed off to Spark Camp. And those around us, those that meet these young people and those who meet us, they, they wonder if this thing is real. If this Jesus is real, if this power is real, if the way to live differently is real in this world. And even if they don't have the theological words for it quite yet, their hearts desperately want to know if there is a God. And if there is, does that God care about them at all? Does God love them? Well, we, the body of Christ, God himself in the world, do we love them? Did the cross of Jesus actually tear down the walls of hate and make us a loving community, a colony of heaven? Or not? Is it just talk? So every trip that we go on with these young people, we gather before leaving, whether it's an SOS mission trip a few weeks ago or whether it's going to be Camp A2 um, later or whether that'll be, you know, whatever we go and do. We always remind the students that everywhere we go, particularly when we're going as a church, we represent three names. The first is your family name. And so you represent your mom and your dad and your grandma and your grandpa, your brothers and your sisters, your aunts and your uncles. You represent your name. As my granny used to say, don't act a fool when you're out there. Fools' names and fools' faces often occur in public places, she would say. You represent your name. I want you to know, told them, you also represent me and this church, Acts 2 United Methodist Church. From the day we began it in 1999 to today, every member of this church represents me. It makes a big difference to me. People know that this is the church that Chantel and I founded, that I'm the senior pastor here. And every time they meet somebody with the name Acts 2 United Methodist Church, it's a reflection of me and what I value, whether I like it or not. And I do like it. I do like it. And third, and most importantly, you represent Jesus. You represent Jesus to the world. That's the most important thing of all. Every time you meet someone, we say, you represent Jesus to the kids. And then we say, go have a good camp as you go. So we are in the sermon series called Life Together, what it looks like and why it matters. And we're going along Philippians 1, 2, 3, and 4. It's a four-week series, pretty simple. In week 1, we learned that we are better together. Say it with me. We are better together. We just are. There are things that you can do that the folks in this section can't do. There are folks over here that can do things that these folks can't do. And together, we are better. But there's a problem in church life as we do it here in the West. And that is that community 
is the most overpromised and underdelivered aspect of the church today, says Ruth Haley Barton. You hear this all the time. Oh, it's about community. It's about community. And it is. But it's hard to know whether you're hitting that mark if you don't understand what we're talking about when we say community. Around here, when we say fellowship, when we say community, what we mean is partnership. Fellowship equals partnership. Say that with me. Fellowship equals partnership, investment. We do these things together. When you become a member, a covenant member of this family, then we can count on you and you can count on us. In the good times, in the hard times, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night. So when we say the word fellowship in the book of Acts chapter 242, what it meant then and what it means now is partnership. Partnership. It's on our buildings. It's on everything we have. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship. Partnership. The breaking of bread and the prayers. And so we need a community of faith. Each other. Right? It's not buildings. It's not programs. It's actually heart-to-heart, life-to-life people. We have to have each other to grow into the people that God created us to be all along. Because otherwise we can't see ourselves and we surely can't see the kingdom. Because the kingdom is every tribe, every nation, every time, every place where Jesus' name is lifted up and his power moves. Robert Mulholland says about community why it's so important that we can no more be conformed to the image of Christ outside corporate spirituality, the church, than a coal can continue to burn outside of the fire. We need each other to be able to do what we're intended to do all along. One of the best examples of this is found in Paul's first church in Europe, um, in Philippi. He founded this church in about 50 A.D. And, and so this is right um, between Italy and Turkey. Um, it's, it's, it's right there between Rome and Istanbul. So it is along this Via Ignatia, this road from Italy all the way over to Turkey, what is now Istanbul at, that, uh, at one time Byzantinium. And so as you, as you zoom in here, you'll see that all of this area of Macedonia it is the region in which Philippi was. But it was completely overrun and ruled by Rome. And it would go all the way to Istanbul. You can see the end of the road even today. So William Barclay, as he describes this first church that was begun, right, in Philippi. It's, if you want to know more, you can look at the book of Acts chapter 16. And what Barclay, the great theologian, says is that the early church in Philippi was an all-inclusive church. What kind of church was it, friends? All-inclusive church with people from a cross-section of society, a cross-section of nationality, from the top to the bottom of the social scale, from the east to the west of the known world at that time, all along the Via Ignatia. Philippi shows us the ideal of the Christian church in miniature. If we want to know what church is to look like, all we have to do is look there. And so roughly five to ten years after starting this church that Paul had given his life to, his heart to, his finances to, he writes back to them from prison because they're the only people that have come to care for him when he needed it. He poured into them and now they're pouring into him. They actually send a man by the name of Epaphroditus with a huge financial gift to take care of everything that he might need. A very dangerous thing in that time and in that world. You see, in Paul's world, when people were put in prison, they're going to die if their friends didn't show up. Because they didn't get food, they didn't get clothing, they didn't get water, they had to rely on friends. Which I believe is why Jesus says, visit the sick and the imprisoned, because otherwise they're going to die. It's up to us to care for people. So historian and theologian Scott McKnight writes, living in unity as a fellowship, a partnership, or a common life together is a great idea. Read this last part with me. 
until you have to get along with someone you don't like. Right? It sounds good, but it can be difficult to do. I don't suppose that Epaphroditus had an easy time getting all the way to where Paul was. Some people think he was writing from Rome. Other people think he was writing from Ephesus. Uh, And either way, he either was all the way over in Italy or all the way over into Turkey. Not an easy trip. So this week, we're going to talk about what this fellowship, what this partnership looks like. And one of the things that can be easy to forget is that the Christian life is a public act. It's not a private thing, friends. That's why baptism is a public act. Joining the church is a public act because we, when we say we belong to Jesus, it is a public act and we live like citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven, wherever we go, anywhere in the world, we are citizens of heaven. And most of us here, citizens of the United States as well. And those have both great privileges and great responsibility for us to represent our country and represent our Lord. Both. So living for King Jesus has serious social and community consequences. We live differently than the world. Others who don't know him, don't serve him, don't call him Lord, can live all sorts of ways. That's not true for us. There's a code of conduct for the way we live our lives, and it comes from the very words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us how to live, what his expectations are of us. It's a beautiful thing what Paul is doing. It's hard for us to see 2,000 years later, but Paul's emphasis is on equality, and it's that equality that horrified those intoxicated with the Roman system of upward mobility. I wonder if any of you all have noticed uh, sort of a culture of upward mobility outside of Rome. They are in competition with each other, friends. They just are. And so in the first 300 years of Christianity, this suffering, which we don't like, it was absolutely the way of the church. And it's in the first 300 years that the church grew the fastest, became the strongest. By the time of Constantine, had become more than half of the population and actually flipped the entire Roman Empire. Started with Jesus in 12, then 3,000 at Pentecost, and, and then, and then, and then. In 300 years, the world had been transformed, turned upside down. So Paul writes to this early church, this is how we are to live. Do nothing, nothing, friends, from selfish ambition. Say it with me. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Hold the door, friends. Serve others. Care for others. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to who? The interests of others. That's what it is to live for Jesus. William Barclay writes, Christian love will never seek anything, anything but the good of others. This Christian love is not a mere reaction of the heart as human love is. It is a victory of the will. It's a victory of the will achieved by the people and help of Jesus Christ. It means an unconquerable goodwill, even to those who hate us. It means the power to love the people we do not like. Hear that again, friends. Our job is to love the people that do not like us. Don't understand us. Don't care for us. Because the only way the world is transformed is by the power of love, of people doing the right thing at the right times for the right reasons, regardless of the environment. And so Paul also understands that this doesn't just happen. We have to overcome ourselves. We have to submit ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. So Paul actually writes back to this community because guess what? This, the church doesn't always agree. Shocker. Maybe you've heard that of late. Right? Paul has heard about this petty jealousy between a woman named Euodia and a woman named Syntyche. 
or something like that. All we know is that we don't know what they're fussing about. In my dad's church one time, it was the difference between powdered donuts and sugar donuts. The church just split right down the middle. Because one people thought this was best and one thought was... We don't know what's going on with Eudodia and Syntyche. What we do know is that they're divided. That's all we know. And so I don't, I don't know exactly how Paul would take care, of his, take care of this, but I'm thinking about getting this for the church. Just get a get-along shirt. We're going to put it over them and just make them get along. She looks thrilled, doesn't she? Yeah. Okay, Mom, sure. You know, this is our get-along shirt. You know, or get-along shirt. I mean, you know, he looks happy. But sometimes the Lord is just like, look, work it out. I don't care if you like each other. Get in the shirt. You're the church. Figure it out. Amen? Right, let's go. So Paul writes, he says, I urge Yodia. I mean, he calls them out by name. Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Same mind in the Lord. Just put that other stuff aside. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel. He knows them. They're good people. They've worked hard together with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. He's not, they're saved. They're good people. It's just a problem. It's a problem. And whether we like it or not, Elaine Heath says, whether we feel it or not, whether we know it or not, read it with me, we are all bound together in Jesus' heart. We just are. There's not a person in this world that you will lock eyes with that Jesus doesn't deeply care for and has given his life for. Not, not a soul. To live in that truth is to present to our neighbors an alternative vision for life on the planet Earth. One in which all the old divisions, and she lists them out, are healed. You'll notice that Jesus never commands his followers to get their way or to do what will make us happy. I don't know where we got that. I mean, people like to hear that. It's just not true. It's just not true. Right? Paul writes, actually, let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of who? Others. Others. Uh, About... Two years ago, more than two, two years ago now, I heard a great sermon by the Reverend Brandon Blackston on the front row. And he said this about Philippians. He said, when we prioritize others, we begin to have the mind of Christ. The very mind of Christ. We begin to think like him, to act like him when we put others first. You see, being good citizens of the gospel kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it demands higher standards for our behavior, not lower. When we go to the school boards... We're to be a higher standard, not a lower. When we're dealing with politics, we're to be a higher standard, not a lower. When we deal with personal behavior and conduct, we are to be at a higher level, not lower. The goal is that anybody in the world should be able to look at you and say, yes, they look like Jesus. They act like Jesus. I wonder how they could possibly do that in the face of what they're going through. Paul writes, then let the same mind be in you. What kind of mind is that? The mind that loves others? That was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, which none of us can claim, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, no, but he emptied himself. He's God himself, friends. He could do anything he wants. And he taking the form of a slave, not just a human, but a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form as a slave, he humbled himself and became obedient all the way to the point of death, even on death on a cross which was the most humiliating death there was. Stripped naked, 
on the edge of death publicly before all on the cross. So that we never forget it. We keep it in the center of our worship. We also remember that we worship not a martyr, but a savior. Amen. There's not a martyr. And so we have to make this really clear. Scott McKnight writes in his commentary on Philippians, he says, Paul is not endorsing suffering as redemptive. No, rather this suffering is, say it with me, the result of joining in what God is doing. Suffering will come by following Jesus. It just does at times. But suffering's not good. Jesus actually came to alleviate suffering. We're to be about alleviating suffering for people. But as we do, there will be forces that come against us. And experiencing the backhand of evil and injustice. It just happens. When you do the right thing at the right times for the right reasons, don't expect a cookie. Expect somebody to bow up at you because you're making them look bad. Or you're working against the reason these people are suffering in the first place. That's just the way the world works. All in a struggle to bring about God's justice. If you're trying to bring justice into an unjust system, don't expect that to go easy. Expect that to be hard. Long-suffering, the scripture says. So when we talk about our citizenship in heaven, kingdom citizenship requires sacrifice and the Holy Spirit power to achieve what we're trying to do, to live like Jesus. Later in the letter, in verses 9 to 11, it says this, Therefore... Because Jesus humbled himself, because he was obedient to the death on a cross, God also highly exalted him, lifted him up, and gave him the name that is, say it with me, above every name. Every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that, say with me, Jesus Christ is Lord, boss. What he says goes to the glory of God the Father. Now we have to ask ourselves, is that true in our life? How true is it in our life? Do we have anybody else that can help us see that, whether that's true in our life? Because, friends, you and I, and I think the church just messes this up sometimes. I don't know why, but, but we can never forget, friends, that Jesus is God. He's God himself. It's in Jesus that we see God most clearly. The one that created heaven and earth, put the moon and the stars into orbit. Right? This is the Lord that we see in Jesus. Who can do anything at any time. And he chooses to serve others. He chooses to humble, humble himself for you and for me and for the world. And we know this in the gospel of Matthew. And we just read right past this in the great commission. But make no mistake. Jesus came. He says this about himself. All authority. How much authority does Jesus have? All of it. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And so when there are differences of opinion about what we should do, who's the authority? Jesus. What that also means is it's not Paul. It's not any other biblical book. It's Jesus and his life and his words and his actions, period, dot. Why? Because all authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth is his. And so if there's something that doesn't square with his life, you have to yield to him every time. And the church does that sometimes, and sometimes the church completely mucks that up. Just messes it up. But we have to understand, Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the word of God. And the scriptures tell us about that word. That's what we believe about scripture. It is holy and beautiful and wonderful, and it's to teach us how to live like Jesus. And if there's something in the Bible that doesn't look like Jesus, then Jesus wins every time. Y'all do get this, right? Super important in all the conversations going around the world. I love the way Marilyn Robinson puts it. She says, Caesar Augustus was also said to be divine, but 
there aren't any songs about him. We still sing about Jesus, don't we? All over the world, two billion of us. Other people have said they're God. They're not. Jesus has all authority. So being the kind of God he is, God became Jesus, became human to redeem humans. And instead of self-protection and self-promotion, Jesus chose other protection and other promotion. Thank God. Thank God for us. And the way of Jesus counters the way of Rome and every other country, by the way. Instead of upward mobility, he humbled himself. Every country, every tribe, any entity, Jesus is above all of it. Next week, we'll dive more into Philippians 3, but just um, as a brief moment, this is what Paul says. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've often told you them, and now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, their appetites. That's what that means. Whatever they want to do, they do. Whatever feels good, do it. That's how the world lives. And their glory is in their shame. They even tell you about it. And their minds are set on earthly things, not on things above. Paul will write this again in Colossae and Colossians 3. Set your things on minds above. Because, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven, friends. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has all authority. All authority. Right? So, this is a beautiful family here. Me, Chantel, my boys. And we are at the experiential prototype community of tomorrow. Known as Epcot. Do y'all know that? That one's for free, right? And as you go to Epcot, one of the things that's there, uh, not just all the cool stuff, but there is the World Showcase. Anybody been to the World Showcase? It's so cool. You come in and you go right and you have the United Kingdom and you go all the way around here, Morocco, you know, all the, China, all the way around. It's very, very cool. The thing about the World Showcase is that you get to, when you step into the United Kingdom, you feel like you're in the United Kingdom. They got the little red phone booth. You got your fish and chips. Everybody speaks English, like proper English right? And so here's the thing. Each of these are like little colonies. They're they're not like middle Florida, right? They don't sound like middle Floridians. They sound like English people or Moroccan people, right? They, it looks like Morocco. When you get to Morocco, the food tastes like Moroccan food because you're there. It's a little colony, right? But is it Morocco? No, but it looks like it. Sounds like it. It even smells like it. If you didn't know better, you'd say you're already there. You know what the scripture says about us? We're to be a colony of heaven. Right here in the middle of the world. Right where we are. We're to look like it. We're to sound like it. We're to use that language. We're even to smell like it. The aroma of Christ, the scripture says. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we're here for. Now, It is not just possible, but utterly necessary in our day to form genuinely loving and respectful relationships with those with whom we disagree. Otherwise, they're not going to believe that they're in heaven. Because in heaven, it's unified. And if we do not learn to do this well, we will have no authority with which to speak to our neighbors about God. They just won't believe it. We cannot with integrity celebrate the love of God who is making all things new while we posture, label, judge, reject, vilify, and harm other Christians. Amen. Right? We're not about that. We're not going to do that. Much less can we justify hateful words and deeds against people of other religions or no religion as if we were doing God a favor. Like God needs our help. God can do whatever God wants to do. He lets us participate because he's good. Right? So, here's the thing. Paul's big idea for the Philippians is to overcome themselves. 
We're, we're in our own way, friends. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. By living a common life, a partnership life with one another shaped by Christ. And the great wisdom traditions of the world, Barbara Brown Taylor says, they all recognize that the main impediment to living a life of meaning is being self-absorbed. We, we, we don't get there because it's all about ourselves. You see, Christ-like sacrificial service is how the Philippians are to live a common life, a partnership of humility and joy. It's so joyful when we serve. It's joyful to see uh, you know, our young people on the roofs in Memphis and the joy that they have serving others. It's a joy when, when we look and we go down to places like Skyline Urban Ministry or we go down to Guatemala or, or we're right here in Edmond when we serve others. There is joy that's relieved, mainly for us and sometimes for others. In Philippians 2, again, it says this, Do everything readily and cheerfully, not a sad sax, no bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in the squalid and polluted society, Paul writes. Provide people with, say with me, a glimpse of God living and of the living God, a colony of heaven. I know we have a lot of guests here, uh, and we have uh, a number of military families here. Uh, always have and pray always will. Now, I love military folk because they understand more about the world than most, and they understand what it is to live for something greater than themselves. They know what service looks like. They know what sacrifice looks like. It's not foreign to them. They make wonderful people in the world with Jesus as Lord while also serving their country. So carry the light-giving message into the night, Paul writes. So I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns because Christ is returning. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing, Paul writes. He's kind of like, mm. You know, don't forget, I did all this for you. Act like it, he says. You see, a joyful community of Jesus, citizens, they affirm one another. Now, in the Roman world, and I would say maybe even in Oklahoma at times, in the corporate world, we struggle to lift each other up because we're afraid they'll get the promotion. We're afraid to celebrate what someone's doing um, around us because they might get the award. We're, you know, we're supposed to claw and fight and, and do these things so that we're the ones that win. No, that's, that's not how it is. Paul actually was lifting others up. And he says we're to do the same. He says, actually, he lifts up Epaphroditus by name. He says, my good friend and companion in my work, you sent him to help me out. Now I'm sending him to help you out. Give him a grand welcome, a joyful embrace. People like him deserve the best you can give. Remember the ministry to me that you started but weren't able to complete, he says. Now, something you may not know about these letters is that, guess who's reading this letter about Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus, right? Paul gives him the letter, and he says, now you're going to read this about yourself. And so Epaphroditus goes back to the community that sent him, and he gets to say, and uh, by the way, this is about me. It's fun. It's joyful. It's good. So the scripture says, well, in the process of finishing up that work, Paul says to the family of faith, Epaphroditus, he put his life on the line and nearly died doing it. Imagine that you get to read that in front of your community by someone that you hold in high esteem. Margaret Wheatley writes, What is needed, friends, is for people of wisdom and spiritual discernment to form small communities that exist as islands of sanity amid the chaos. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody says, Tell me a little bit about Acts 2. You say, Well, I don't know a lot, but I know that we are a little tiny island of sanity. I'm okay with that. We're just an island of sanity. The world's losing its mind, but you can actually come and get stable here. You can actually talk to other people that don't agree with you and not get yelled at. Actually listen to. You might actually learn something. It'd be amazing. So our action steps for this week. Number one, 
I want to invite you to reach out in humility to someone this week. It's a holiday weekend. Many of you all will see families or have or will see family. And it's possible, I don't know, it's possible that you might not be in perfect relationship with every person that you're going to meet this weekend. And if that's the case, go first. Reach out in humility. It's It's not about you. It's about your character, about what God has placed in you for unity, for peace in the world. It has to start with someone. Let it start with you. Or, you want to blow somebody's mind? Affirm them publicly. Just lift them up. Next staff meeting, or if you don't work, maybe you're at a family dinner, just say, you know, one of the things I really love about so-and-so is this, this, and this. Think of three things, the things they've done. And just lift them up. You'll be amazed at how much better your relationships get when you actually lift others up. Because they look pretty terrible if they're mean to you at that point. Right? They just do. So, um, I came across this prayer this week. It's... Um, in a book by Eugene Peterson, and it really touched me. I hope it'll be meaningful to you as well. I invite you to pray this prayer with me, and then we'll close in the Lord's Prayer. Our only God and Father, I'm tempted to make church a consumer thing, to think of it as a vendor of spiritual goods and religious services that keep me happy and satisfied. Remind me that I share in Jesus through this body, your church, a covenant community, where I have obligations to others. Make me ready to serve others, to celebrate others, and to sacrifice for others for the joy of Jesus and the honor of your holy name. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.